This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is the Pixar Sciatica Podcast. Let's talk about anti-inflammatory medications, specifically the class of NSAIDs, which is short for non-steroidal anti-inflammatory medications. You probably have come across this throughout your life and probably see it at the drugstore, such as Advil and some other things. But why is this recommended? How does it work? And what are some things that we need to consider when it comes to taking a medication like this? And so today I have a guest who was here previously, who was kind enough to share her experience about tricyclic antidepressants. So if you haven't had the chance to listen to that episode, I'm going to go ahead and put that episode into the show notes. But today we have Dr. Bailey Schroeder, pharmacist, uh, chemical extraordinaire, knowing all things science. She was very kind to be able to uh, share her knowledge today. Bailey, welcome back. It's so good to see you. Thank you. I'm so excited to be back. You know, there's just too much to talk about and too many medications, which, you know, and I and I know that there's so many medications you could talk for hours, but I'm so glad to focus on another class, another way to approach pain um, and hope everyone finds it interesting. I'm already deeply fascinated as I was doing my research for this episode because I kind of had a basic understanding on uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, NSAIDs, what we would say in school. Now, with as a physical therapist, I can say, okay, this is what we can do around the medications that you're taking, but it's not in my scope of practice or even knowledge base to be able to say, you should take this or you shouldn't take it. So I'm really glad that we're able to have someone like you who's going to be an expert in the chemical pathways um, on how uh, this goes. So um, real quick, before um, before we jump into it, uh, for the listeners who haven't quite met you yet, tell us a little bit more about yourself and what you currently do. Sure. Yeah. So I am a community pharmacist. So I see these NSAIDs day in and day out. Um, I work at a small independent pharmacy, which is just amazing. I love it. We have lots of cool additional services that we offer and it's a safe place for me to practice pharmacy. So that's what I do for the most part. I also have my own consulting business in pharmacogenomics. And so that's focused on how DNA impacts your response to medications. And honestly, I was fueled to look into this and dive into this from watching patients struggle to find the right treatment in the community pharmacy and spending money on visits and medication trials and getting them covered and their symptoms escalating in the meantime. So, you know, this has given me a lot of hope and patients a lot of hope to find medications um, that will work for them faster. So I enjoy doing that as well. It's uh, it's it's very cool that you brought that up. Um, I think I came across um, just in my studies or even encountering people who are redhead apparently people are redhead like because of the genetic makeup they actually become a little bit more resistant to various different pain medications and that was kind of like a genetic thing so that wow. as we were as you were telling me about genomics i was like oh that is something that 
um, I, I've, or, or learned how I came across. So, um, but let's talk about pain meds, like specifically NSAIDs themselves. So uh, we, uh, we briefly talked about it, but what is an NSAID? People probably heard that term, seen it passed around. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that is? Yes. So NSAIDs, it stands for non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. And when we say non-steroidal, that means they work differently than the steroids like prednisone, the cortisone shots that people are familiar with. NSAIDs as a class uh, are really common. They're available over the counter and prescription. So like you mentioned, Aleve, Advil, Motrin, Ibuprofen, Mobic, Celebrex. People are usually pretty familiar with these. And the way they address inflammation is they block an enzyme called cyclooxygenase. We abbreviate that to COX. Um, and so that's how they work. There's a group of older ones that work non-selectively on COX-1 and 2. And then there's selective ones that work on COX-2 alone. And then we'll chat about which ones would be preferred based on individuals. Yeah, so it looks like, um, and we've said this a, a bunch of times, but um, NSAIDs really target the uh, inflammatory process of, of pain. Is that correct? Yeah, so and how they do that is when you block this COX enzyme, it prevents arachidonic acid from being converted into two different things, um, thromboxanes and prostaglandins. And prostaglandins, when we block their production, it actually causes vasoconstriction, which reduces inflammation. So that's how that works. The thromboxanes that it also inhibits plays into the side effect part of it, but the prostaglandins is where we get some pain control. And when it shrinks those blood vessels, it reduces the swelling. Yeah. And so uh, these anti-inflammatories, we're looking at reducing inflammation, which could be a contributing factor to the pain that people are experiencing. And so if we're dealing with something like, say, sciatica, we can actually categorize sciatica pain into two major categories. We have our, we'll say, um, acute and chronic, because the acute stage of pain, which is going to be happening during, during the first 12 weeks of an injury, that's actually when we're going to be having a fair amount of inflammation, because there is suspected a tissue injury. And when there's a tissue injury, we're actually going to be having a lot of blood flow to that specific area, where I think as we're looking at medications, anti-inflammatories, we kind of look, we, uh, it kind of shapes our view on inflammation in regards to, okay, well, inflammation causes pain, pain is bad, so I need to get rid of it. But I think it often gets misrepresentation. We need inflammation and actually in, in order for us to heal. And so if you are experiencing an acute bout of sciatica pain, we might actually need to have that inflammation happen to allow our tissues and bodies to heal. In regards to uh, reducing inflammation, I think when we transition to the second part of, of sciatica pain healing, where you transition to what is called the chronic stage, the chronic stage is actually when you have passed the 12-week mark. And there's some sort of abnormal inflammation that is going on, whether it be some sort of actual chemical process um, that for some reason your body's going through, or there's an actual mechanical block that's further irritating. And I like to allude it as every time you flare up your symptoms or cause a little bit more pain, it's kind of like you're picking away at a scab. Like when you initially get hurt and you're healing, 
you're developing a scab to stop the bleeding to protect the area. That's where you're going to get a lot of swelling. That's where you're going to get a lot of pain. But also what's important is that when a scab is healing, we want to avoid scraping that scab because if we, every time we scrape that scab, we kind of delay healing. We want to give it an opportunity to uh, put all the building blocks together. But then as we get deeper, um, we want to know why is are these things still inflamed in the first place? So I think that's a, a very big clarification that people should understand is that inflammation is actually really good, but when you're having abnormal inflammation, that's where things start to become a little bit more painful and problematic. And so um, you, you said uh, two, two, main, two main mechanisms, right? You have prostaglandins and thrombotic, what was the word again? Thromboxanes, yeah. Thromboxanes, okay, cool. Um, and so prostaglandins, inflammatory process, and then thromboxanes is, um, from my understanding, we're looking at uh, cellular turnover. Um, thrombus is kind of like blood clot scabbing, like letting things heal and everything like that. So um, is there anything else that you wanted to share in regards to like the mechanisms and how like NSAIDs um, or those two mechanisms could work in regards to lowering someone's pain? Um, that was the main thing. Um, and, you know, when we talk about the sciatic pain, sometimes when it's caused by an acute injury, like a herniated disc, for example, and there's an actual mechanical compression of the nerve, that does cause the localized inflammation. And when it comes to like initial acute treatment, sometimes an anti-inflammatory will help set them up for success to be able to do exercises like you would recommend to them. Um, because it makes it more manageable and it allows them more mobility. So sometimes they are beneficial in the acute phase as well to give them more ability to use other treatment options too. This episode is brought to you by the Patient Advocate Program. Are you tired of not having support between your rehab sessions? Introducing the Patient Advocate Program, we're focused on your recovery and we're offering you 24-7 access to a doctorate of physical therapy. Stop waiting in line to be seen and stop spending hours doing long exercise programs. Imagine being able to get all of your care delivered straight to your phone. Best of all, it's affordable. We believe everyone deserves top-notch relief without breaking the bank. So why wait? Take control of your health today and visit PT Patient Advocate advocate.com and book your free call with our experts. Absolutely. That makes sense. It's like, um, cause the reality listeners, if you're experiencing an acute bout of injury or an acute bout of sciatica pain, low back pain, the research actually shows that bed rest is actually one of the least helpful things that you can do. Um, in a way, yes, we want to protect the joint, but we want to be able to have a little bit of freedom of movement because when you move your body actually also releases anti-inflammatory uh, hormones, which allows you to heal and also minimize the pain. Because if you're on bed rest the whole time, you're going to feel extremely stiff. It's going to be a lot more miserable. And I know for myself, if I laid in bed all day, I would kind of go a little nuts because I myself have a tendency to fidget and move around. So if I couldn't move, that would be uh, quite challenging. Um, this is a question that I didn't get a chance to send over to you before this interview. But as I was doing this research, there were two categories or like two segments of NSAIDs. You have the the over-the-counter stuff, which is like your Advil, your Motrin. Um, and then you have your prescription, your mm -hmm. prescription strength, right? And so I know that there's obviously a lot of differences, but what separates the the two types and, and how does one make a decision in regards to, okay, we need a prescription strength versus over-the-counter? 
Yeah, good question. So it comes back down to the mechanism where we're blocking. Um, it's called COX enzyme. And then that is broken down to COX-1 and COX-2. COX-1 lives not only in the stomach um, where it affects and impacts the GI mucosa, but it also can help with inflammation. But then the COX-2 is specific to inflammation. And so most of the prescription ones would be the COX-2 selective and those have a better side effect profile. So when you are not affecting the COX-1 enzyme, you have reduced um, GI effects. And that would kind of be like a mainstay side effect issue with all of these medications. But you would have less of that um, when you are bypassing the COX-1 and just going directly to the inflammation enzyme. Yeah, I don't, I don't think there are any selective NSAIDs that are over the counter. I believe all the selective ones are prescription and then all of the non-selective, um, there are some non-selective prescription as well, but all of the NSAIDs that you get over the counter would be non-selective. So they would have not a specific of action and probably more side effects. If there's concerns with renal function, GI side effects, cardiac things, then they usually go the prescription route to avoid those side effects. That is so fascinating. Yeah, because I remember even myself going to the drugstore and being like and looking and saying, all right, well, uh, we have this Advil where you can take, you know, four, 600, 800 milligrams. But then I remember it, it's not very often, but it's hearing people saying that they just got like a prescription strength Advil or prescription strength uh, ibuprofen. And it was really interesting. It's very cool to learn that on the prescription side, you're looking at minimizing the side effects of what the COX-1 would be. So would you say that the decision-making process would be more kind of like if someone's dealing with those side effects to begin with because they've been using um, over-the-counter for a while. And it's like, okay, well, since you've been using the over-the-counter, the prescription strength might be a good idea. Or is this something where the prescriptions are can be uh, usually one of the first lines of defense um, from a medical standpoint upon, uh, we'll say, acute injury? Yeah, I would say we don't say that they work better. It's not that the selective ones will work better. They're just more favorable. And so if a patient has these conditions that would make them more sensitive to the side effects, I can see why a prescriber would go the selective route. But like you said, I do see prescribers do an ibuprofen 600 um, for, for some people. So it's more so when we know that they have conditions that are going to make them more sensitive, let's go that route just to start with Um, more so from a safety side, but if they're doing fine on the non-selective over the counter one, don't mess with it. It's cheap. It's effective. It's not that it's going to be working less. It's a very interesting, you brought up a, really interesting point about the over-the-counter versus the prescription is this concept of cost too, right? To be able to say, well, if it's working, it doesn't cost you much more than 
if it's not broken, you know, we don't necessarily have to try to fix it. Um, but let's talk about side effects. Um, you know, one of the big things that separates prescription from, from the over-counter is the uh, differences or the degree of uh, side effects itself. So um, NSAIDs in general, right? What we're going to do, listeners, is we're going to take the uh, the very small fine print that you get from your pill bottle, right? And kind of break that down a little bit more. Let's talk about some of the side effects, Um that people should really consider before taking it, or if they are taking the things to look out for, so then that way um, it just gives us a little bit more insight. Yeah, let's make that big printout a little less scary, a little bit more patient friendly. So my main side effects would be stomach side effects because that COX-1 is living in the GI mucosa. So people can get nausea, upset stomach, diarrhea, we say that if you take it with food, that would help with that. Um, you can also get some dizziness or a headache. That's not really specific to its mechanism as much. Um, there is a risk also with the GI effects of GI ulcers and bleeding. So that will tie into people that might not be a good candidate for it. There is some renal or kidney impact. So if you have a reduced function kidney, probably not the best for you. And that's more so when you use it long-term chronic use. There is some cardiac concerns and some warnings with that. And that's for specific people based on their medical history. And also it is not great for people with high blood pressure because it can worsen hypertension. Um, but that's also specific to the patient. And all of these side effects are generally more prevalent in those non-selective anti-inflammatory drugs. Um, they should have less side effects with a selective one because it's skipping out on those COX-1 enzymes. Yeah, that makes total sense. Because as you're listing these uh, side effects, um, I look at um, some of the medications lists of the patients that I work with who are a little bit older, say 65 plus, and What's really interesting is that um, a large part, especially as we get into the more advanced ages, I see a lot more Tylenol as compared to, say, something like an Advil. And correct me if I'm mistaken, I don't think Tylenol is, class is Tylenol classified as an NSAID as well, or it's a different class? No, it's not. And since Tylenol is a different class, that's why I see it much more in the older population because we don't have to worry about the kidney function. We don't have the bleeding risk. We don't have... Um, the GI bleed risks, and a lot of these people are on hypertension drugs, on um, blood thinners. So I, they're definitely moving towards Tylenol because it works in a completely different way. It does not address inflammation like these ones do, though. Mm, very fascinating. Yeah, I remember just, and I'm glad that you brought that up because it was really something that I remember seeing, uh, yeah, all the patients that I've been working with as they get like past 65, I was like, I would see Tylenol and some of them would take it on a daily basis or some it would be kind of an as needed. And I was thinking, oh, I wonder why that's the case. And so it's because of the, the COX-1 um, inhibitor aspect. And so um, so we have side effects. Let's talk about, let's say, like some possible medication interactions, considerations that we should be looking at before taking before looking at an NSAID. Yeah. So drug interactions usually are focused around medications that work the same or that have similar side effect profiles. 
So there is an increased bleeding risk with NSAIDs and a lot of antidepressants have that bleeding risk as well. Now, usually individually, the risk is low, but when you add multiple ones, you have to consider that risk. In addition to um, antidepressants, anticoagulants, so blood thinners like warfarin, Eliquis, Xarelto, if they're on something that's already thinning the blood, you add something that's increasing the bleeding risk, especially in the elderly, that would be a concern. And then aspirin as well. I would hate to see somebody take an NSAID and aspirin together. It's just they're, they're too similar and um, you would just be increasing the side effect profile there. Another thing would be corticosteroids. So we said these are non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, but if you are adding prednisone or steroid shots on top of this, you're going to get more GI side effects. So that's something to be aware of. And then, like I mentioned, it can also reduce the antihypertensive effect of some of the blood pressure medications. So if they have really uncontrolled hypertension, it wouldn't be a good option for them because it's going to make those drugs work not as well, specifically ones that are already working on the kidneys. And then these ones are having some renal impact too. So, Wow. The uh, chemical processes that happen in our body, just themselves, but then combining it with medications. It's so fascinating and complicated. I'm so glad that you are able to really shed a light um, on these various different things because one, I'm actually learning with everything that you're saying here, and I'm sure that the listeners are learning a little bit more about it too, making that big, scary pamphlet uh, a lot less scary and a little bit more digestible, I think is huge, um, really important. And so uh, another question that I didn't send over to you, but I was always just so fascinated throughout my life and experience with say something like an Advil, I've had taken the Advil, like little brown M&M looking ones. And then like the blue pills as like blue liquid gels as well. This actually blends into my question of not necessarily effectiveness, but in regards to like um, the length of time it takes for medications to kick in, in, in essence, right? Because I think the last time that we spoke, we were talking about how tricyclic antidepressants actually take a couple of weeks for it actually to start to set in, especially because we're dealing with more on the nerve standpoint. If we're looking at the inflammatory aspect, what are we looking at in regards to the length of time before it actually starts to become effective or what some people would call kick in? Yeah, this is what I like about these ones is they don't take as much time. Like the antidepressants that we discussed, it was weeks and that's just not what patients are looking for most of the time. So most of these, it won't be immediate within 20 minutes because it has to reduce the inflammation for you to get pain relief. But within a few days, they should really see benefit. Most of the studies would address the patient's um, benefit at seven days, but it usually is much faster than that um, for it to be able to work. And then that effect continues as they take it. Um, and when you mentioned the, the little brown pills and the, the blue capsules, it's, it just makes me laugh because I, I see the fancier the packaging, the more people want to buy it and think that it will work better. And it, it just generally isn't the case. The little brown ones are like ibuprofen. You have to take more frequently. So I don't like those ones as much just for ease of administration. I like naproxen or a leave over the counter because it's lasting for 12 hours at a time. And so you don't have to worry about taking it throughout the day. So 
And then the prescription ones, usually daily or twice a day. So I think that helps with patient compliance too. That's another benefit to some of the prescription ones is they aren't taken as often. And that generally helps and is beneficial to the patient. So yeah, that's they work much faster, which I really like. And I, I know patients like that too. Um, in regards to time, um, I, you brought up uh, not having to take a medication a, a, as often because it lasts a little bit longer. Is it really a matter is when you say that, is it because of the concentration of medicine? So like 600 milligrams versus 800 milligrams or more? Does that yeah. kind of make sense? I was not, have, have not no, you're correct. Yeah. It's drug specific, uh, not so much dose specific. Um, so you could take an ibuprofen 600 four times a day. And meloxicam is dosed at like 15 or 30. But meloxicam is actually going to last longer, just specifically because of the medication, not so much the dose, they're not generally interchangeable. Um, Ibuprofen just gets broken down faster. And so you have to take it four times a day versus a Mobic or meloxicam would be once a day. Yeah, that that makes sense. Very interesting stuff. This is really eye-opening. And, and as we're going through some like new questions come about, which is <laughs> so great and so exciting about all this. So let's talk about some of the use case scenarios. Um, I mean, obviously, number one, it's bringing down inflammation. How would someone know that they might be a candidate for like an NSAID? Yeah, I would say, once again, it's easier to talk about who isn't um, because they are very, very widely used. There's a small group of people that we just need to probably tread lightly or consider an alternative. Because they have an impact on kidneys, I would caution people when, if they've been told that they have poor kidney function or reduced kidney function. If they've had an allergy to any other NSAID, that's kind of an obvious one. Don't try the other NSAIDs probably. If they have a history of a coronary artery bypass graft or cabbage, um, and they would know that, that would be a no-go for these ones. If they have a history of a GI bleed, it's just really important to have a risk-benefit discussion. There are some meds that they can add to have some GI protection, um, but that would be something to discuss. In pregnancy, I would avoid them, especially in third trimester. And like you mentioned, elderly, they're just more sensitive to side effects for sure. Um, Your body doesn't break down medications the same way it used to when you were 20 or 30. And they are generally on more medications that's going to really complicate the side effect profile. And then the last one would be heart failure. Um, It can increase the the fluid and make that worse. Um, So other than that, they are very good medications. They're cheap. They are available both over-the-counter prescription Um, Not only are they oral, you can get them injectable, you can get them topical, um, and there's a lot to choose from. And we have this special class of selective ones, too, that we can really um, steer towards if we need to. Very cool. That's so fascinating. Yeah, and I didn't even realize that the various different delivery mechanisms for all these various Mm -hmm. different pharmaceuticals that we have available to us. Um, And so I think uh, for you as an expert in, in the how, how the chemicals and, like interact with our bodies um, v- via various different delivery methods, being able to have a comprehensive team and communication between you, the physician and the patient, and even 
like, well, less so the physical therapist, we'll talk about just like trying to plan around your uh, medication schedule, but you are involved in retail pharmacy. And I think that there are, it's a fantastic role that a lot of people overlook because by the time people go to the pharmacy, they just want to pick up their pills. And I don't think a lot of people know that they can actually ask you questions in regards to anything. Is that right? Tell us a little bit more about how people can make the most out of their relationship with uh, their pharmacist. Oh, absolutely. And technically, we are the most accessible healthcare professional. You don't have to make an appointment with us. You might have to wait on hold for a little bit on the phone, but you can walk right up to us at the pharmacy. We won't charge you an extra copay. It's really, we are the most accessible to you. Grab your groceries, come and ask us a question. I, what I love about my site is that I have time to sit down with people and have discussions. So, and like you mentioned in the last episode, no question is a dumb question. And I can't read your mind. If you have a concern, please bring it up to me um, because I generally have an answer or I would love to look it up for you to help you um, feel confident in your medication decisions. So just because the medication is ready doesn't mean you need to pick it up. We can certainly have a conversation beforehand about it and really discuss your concerns and what to look for and if it's really the best choice for you or any concerns that you have, that's what we're there for. We're very accessible. Just take advantage of us. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Talk to your local neighborhood pharmacist. They know so much and they're there for you. And Bailey, I'm so pumped. Like, so and obviously local neighborhood pharmacists, but you help people based on their genetics, right? In regards to how they interact with various different medications based on a couple of different tests. So for the listeners out there, tell us a little bit more about uh, your company and how you help, how you can help others. Yeah. And it ties right into NSAIDs. If your body breaks it down slower, the drug is going to build up and you're going to have more side effects than maybe we even anticipated. And we can know that ahead of time. People spend so much money on these medication trials and spend time going to their doctor. And we know that you want resolution or some type of relief faster. And so what I do is I order a simple cheek swab, send it to the lab, and they come back with your DNA results that's only specific to your medications. And so in turn, you have a list that can guide your provider to medication prescribing for the rest of your life. It applies to not just NSAIDs, but opioids and antidepressants and cancer medications. And it's really safer to go about it this way if you're more prone to side effects or if you're going to waste money trying something that doesn't work for you. So that's what I do. I work from anywhere. I can meet people um, online at any time. And you can find me at just drbaileyschroeder.com. And I also post my newsletter on Instagram at get informed with two M's. And I put little tidbits about OTC meds, just like NSAIDs on there. So you can check it out. Awesome. Bailey, this was so awesome. The more and more we talk, the more excited I get to be able to just get to know my neighborhood pharmacist, which I haven't had to go in a long time because I haven't needed uh, any medications, but I don't think it's a bad idea to say hello to them. So Bailey, this was awesome. Um, shed a lot of light. I learned a lot today and I'm really excited for the listeners to get some really cool value from this. So Bailey, it's so great to see you. And uh, this is our pre-Thanksgiving episode. So happy Thanksgiving to you. 
Yes, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And I, I hope somebody gets a little help out of it. For sure. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you got some help from today's podcast. And for more info, check us out at ifixyoursciatica.com. Have a fantastic and pain-free day. No patient-therapist relationship is formed by listening to this podcast. We are not providing medical advice and all information should be confirmed by a medical provider.